This is Chad Harrington here. My company, Harrington Interactive Media, produces and sponsors this podcast. We help you create and market media. And if you're thinking about launching a podcast, we'd love to help. We'll help you get your message out there and generate leads too. To start a conversation with us, click on our website link in the show notes of this episode and go to harringtoninteractive.com. This is the New Canaan Society podcast for the Franklin, Tennessee chapter. We are a group of men who gather together to encourage each other in friendship and in faith, and to support each other to be better husbands, fathers, and better men in the marketplace and in our communities. Friendship at NCS happens through our regular meetings in local chapters all across the country. The Franklin, Tennessee chapter meets the first and third Thursday each month at Puckett's Grocery and Restaurant in downtown Franklin from 7 to 8 a.m. In this episode, Bill Lee shares his talk called Bittersweet, recorded on March 21st, 2013. Welcome to uh, the New Canaan Society of Middle Tennessee. Um, the New Canaan Society is uh, an organization, a loose organization of some crazy brothers who decided that the main thing in life was living in relationship with Jesus and his friends. And the, uh, the motto of the national organization for New Canaan Society is live pure, speak truth, right wrong, and worship the king. And uh, that's, a, that's uh, what we are a part of here is, is building uh, deeper into our lives the relationships with, uh, with other brothers that make a difference. Um, I've said many times, and say it again, there's no man ever born, um, ever created, who uh, escapes the sorrows of life. And um, when you get to that point of your life, you need other men around you more than you ever knew you did. And um, it's just astonishing um, what, what happens in life, uh, things that you never uh, knew could happen, and they do. And we need the brothers to be around us. Um, there's a verse of scripture I want to um, share with you this morning. One of my prayers for the New Canaan Society and for the men who participate uh, in this and for all of us here in Middle Tennessee as brothers is that there would be a tremendous spiritual renewal uh, in our hearts and and in our community, uh, a spiritual renewal. We, you know, we 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 hear so much about what men ought to do, and there are things that we ought to do, but I want the renewal of the heart first, because out of that will flow the rivers of living water. The verses this morning from uh, Colossians three, I commend the whole chapter to you, but it says this: Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self. You, your spirit, you have put off the old self, right? With its practices and have put on the new self. What is that? It says this, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. We put on the new self, which is being renewed in the image of, of, of God our Father, God the Holy Spirit, and, 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 and God Jesus Christ, the triune God. Who, who said in the Garden of Eden, let us make man in our image. And we are made in the image of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are to put on that new self. And it starts with, by not lying to one another and by not lying to, to ourselves if we're going to really have the kind of deep friendships that, um, that, that get us through the hard times and that matter in life. Um, 
but the renewal of this community is what my heart is for why we keep doing this, why we keep having these breakfasts. We have, we have some wonderful uh, speakers coming up in the next coming, uh, coming weeks. Um, in the first week of April, David Kyle Foster, who is, um, lives in this community, was an actor in Hollywood. Uh, I'm going to let him tell you his story, but you're not going to want to miss this. Um, David is one of the finest men I know, and I don't know uh, other than Bill Lee who I could put up here who, who would be better than, <laughs> better than David Kyle Foster. Uh, and uh, two weeks after that, Paul Young, our friend Paul Young, is coming back. He was here in November, and he'll be back again uh, for April 18th, and we have some other things planned beyond that. Um, this morning, we are, we are just delighted, um, Bill, to have you with us. Um, uh, Bill's grandfather started the Lee Company in 1944, and I love family legacies, I love family heritages, and I love uh, this brother uh, uh, through whom the light of Christ shines freely. Bill? Thank you very much. A lot of you guys I, I uh, have never met before. Some in this room, uh, I was thinking to myself, they know everything about what I have to say. So if you're, if you're one of those, you'll have to suffer through. I'm not a preacher, and I'm not a teacher, but when Wes asked me to tell, share my story, I thought, well, that's easy. And I do like to talk about Jesus, and I like to talk about what he's done in my life. So... Um, and he's done a lot. And, you know, um, we all have a story. I like to sort of think about the reality that there's a book being written about my life. And there's a book being written about your life. And um, when I was a kid, we had a set of encyclopedias at my house. And there was a couple of them missing I guess every parent bought their kids encyclopedias in the 50s, but I, I, I guess through a couple moves or something, there were a couple missing. And um, <clears throat> you always needed that one that was missing if you had to, you know, your homework. And I, I also think not only is there kind of a book being written, we all have a story and it's a book being written, but it's very important. Each single one of us, I'm motivated by the idea that my that whatever the story is, whatever that book is, it um, needs to be there. And I'm also kind of inspired by the fact that we're co-authors in our own book. Um, things happen, and we respond to them. And how we respond is kind of what determines what the, our story ends up being. And we kind of have the choice about that. And <clears throat> and some books are kind of light reading, and some books are comic books, and some are, you know, change your, you read them and, and they change your life forever. And so why I would stand up and share my stories, because I, I hope, like I'm sure every one of you, that your life, the story of it would encourage another brother in his walking along his story as well. Um, but this will be Cliff Notes because I have 30 minutes, and I'm uh, getting to be an old man, so there's a lot of stuff to this story. Um, <laughs> I was born and raised here, and I, just down the road, I went to Franklin High School, and um, in Fernvale is where I was raised. 
And it's funny when people talk about being born and I was born and raised and I went off to do this as if that little born and raised part, yeah, that's generally what wrecks us or that those 17 or 18 years are generally what create, you know, stability and, and a foundation or they, or it's wrought with all kinds of problems that, that we live with for a long time. My childhood was great. It's very blessed man to have loving family and grew up on a farm out here and I don't I don't remember any kind of catastrophic anything which most people can't say that and I, I'm just a, I was so blessed and then I went off to Auburn and um, had the uh, life-altering event of uh, laying in my bed one night and I lived in a house with about 10 guys and and most of them were heathens but a few of them weren't and um, one of them shared the gospel with me on the on our little porch while I, I think I was drinking a beer and smoking a cigarette. And he came out there, and I remember putting out my cigarette real quick because I knew he was a Christian. And uh, he kind of said, "Why did you Why do you do that?" And I said, "Well, I mean, I know you're a very religious guy." And and he shared the gospel with me of grace and doesn't matter what you do. I don't care if you smoke a cigarette or not. That was kind of his theme. And I went, I thought about that a lot. There's a lot more to it than that. But I sat in my bed and got saved kind of, I say I got saved on my own. It was me and the Lord. And I, I remember kind of saying, you know what, God, I love you and I know you. And I was 19 years old and I, and I, I go to church and I'm a good guy and I, but but this these guys talking about the blood and the cross and Jesus I don't understand all that I don't know why it's important and and in and God's so sweet to me in one second I knew what it all meant I just I just raised up my hands and I knew one minute I had I I didn't know what the blood and the cross and the Jesus was and the next minute I knew and changed my life forever and um, met a beautiful woman there and fell madly in love with her and married her and we moved back here and uh, I started down this path of you know favor life I tell people I lived a life most men only dream of beautiful wife beautiful kids uh, beautiful home beautiful job love the Lord <clears throat> and then my wife and I we had had we had one child had a little trouble having a couple a couple miscarriages and whatnot and then I, for the first time really in my life, I, I had the privilege of having, or the terrible privilege of having the bittersweet taste of knowing him more. Um, we had a baby that died. She was, she was full term and she was, she died in delivery. And, um, it was devastating for us as a young couple. And a couple of weeks after that experience, Carol Ann, my wife, Carol Ann, she was um, really struggling with that. And, and we were sitting on the front porch, and she got up, and she was crying. And it had been a couple of weeks. I was a little worried about her because, you know, I was ready to kind of – it's easier for us to move on. So – she went for a walk. She said, I'm going to go for a walk. And she's gone for about an hour. And she came back and sat on the porch. And I'll never forget it. I will cry a lot this morning. So good thing you only have 30 minutes. Um, 
she sat down and said, you know what, I, uh, the Lord has told me that I was chosen. And I said, what, what do you mean? And she said, I don't know. I just, I just feel, I think I've been chosen. And you know what? She was changed forever from that experience. It, it, it became a part of who she was. It shaped how she viewed her life and how she dealt with other people and how she loved other people. And how, it just it became a lot of who that person, Carol Ann, Person Lee was the sense that she was chosen to experience something really deep, and um, we, you know, we uh, f there's another little period of life that was highly favored for me. The next season of more kids and more favor and more this and more that and closer to the Lord and seeing his goodness sort of unfold in my life. And, um, and then I had another privileged taste of the bittersweet um, nearness of the Lord. And, it was and <clears throat> in July, and most of you know this, my my wife, Carol Ann, and I, in fact, I drove that day, I drove home, it was July 22nd, I drove home, and I crossed over the little river before you get to my house out there in Fernvale, and my son was fly fishing, he was nine, and uh, drove on down, came down the road, down the driveway, and my other son was over there fooling with some, he had, we show livestock, he was at the barn doing his thing. And I drove a little further down, and my wife and my four-year-old daughter riding across a, you know, river and uh, the creek there, and I honked and waved, and they rode off on horses, on one horse. And um, my oldest daughter was on a mission trip in Mexico, and I actually remember driving up the driveway that day, thinking, I am the most blessed man that's ever lived. I mean, I, it couldn't be any. I couldn't live a life that was better than this, and. Um, but about 15 minutes later, you know, I heard my little girl and my four-year-old kind of crying off in the distance, and I was—I knew there was something wrong. And I rode up there and I asked her, "Was her mom okay?" And she said, "No." And so I found my wife, and it—and and it was a terrible accident and uh, horseback riding. And I knew that she—I knew at that moment that she wasn't going to live. You could. Just by the circumstances, I knew that was true. I did CPR, mouth to mouth, brought her back for a bit, but I knew. I sat up there on that hill, she and I, and I knew what I, what I was dealing with. <clears throat> I will never forget sitting there looking at the Lord and kind of going, you know, surely not this. but very near to him. And um, a couple weeks earlier, we'd been on this really great trip to Yellowstone, which we, um, I met Carol Ann, she was working in Yellowstone, so we always joked about going there. And, uh, or we always dreamed about going there and taking our kids and all. We joked about the people that went in RVs back when we were, when she was working there and I was a younger hippie type. But we went in an RV that year, 
and we took all our kids, and there we were, and it was a great couple weeks trip, and we were on Beartooth Pass, and I love mountain goats. I'd hunted them as a young boy one time with my dad way up in the Yukon, and uh, we saw these mountain goats, and they had a lot of significance and meaning to me. It's a whole other story, but I, we stopped, and we got out, and we looked at the mountain goats, and we were so excited. I showed the kids, and we, it was just Beartooth Pass is the most phenomenal place in the earth up uh, in Wyoming. And uh, we had this most wonderful day that day. I mean, it was just, it was snowing up there. It was the middle of July, and we were on this vacation that we dreamed about all. We had all our kids, and we got back in the RV, and we're driving down the road, and, I, and, and um, Carol Ann said to me, you know, I think there's, I think there's a passage in Job about mountain goats. And I kind of laughed at her because I don't know if you all read Job a lot, but I don't. And I certainly didn't, I certainly didn't know what was in it. <clears throat> and she said, yeah, um, there is. And uh, I said, well, find it. So she did. We are driving along, and she found it. And she said, here it is. And... I don't know if you read Job a lot, but it, and my, my, Bill Lee's summation of Job is, you know, there was a conversation between the enemy, between Satan and God, and he said, yeah, and God said, you know, consider my servant Job, and Satan kind of said, well, you know, well, the description of Job is that he was upright, and I should have looked at it again before I came, but he was upright and honest and favored and loved God and he was the you know he's a great great guy and um kind of best guy in all the land and God said um consider my servant Job and Satan said well the only reason Job is so great is because everything's gone well for him and the Lord kind of says we'll do what you want to with him just don't kill him and we'll see what happens see if he's still a good guy and so he does. He loses kids. His life gets boils, and he, his life is devastated. And, <clears throat> and all of his friends all, tell him that you know why this happened to him. And there's 38 chapters of wrestling with what in the world has happened, and why, and who, and and then it says, um, and then the Lord spoke in the storm, and he said. Brace yourself like a man, and I'll speak. And you listen. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? And then he goes on to say, you know, do you put the stars up every night? And do you hold the water back from the shore? And do you bring the rain when it needs it? And do you? And he kind of said, you know what, Job? Gosh, do you know anything about the expanse of this knowledge and and in right at the beginning of chapter 39 he says do you watch the mountain goat when she gives birth and caroline was like here it is right here see it says do you and i said you know what i think the lord wants to tell me something i want you to read that to me real slow and real loud starting from the beginning and so she read chapter 38 and 39 to me while we're riding down the road and I'm driving the RV through the most magnificent place in all the earth on the most magnificent day of my life. 
And it was, it was. And then after she read it, I was like, wow, we talked about the goodness of the Lord. And can you believe what he's done in our life? And can you believe how unbelievably magnificent he is? And wow, I feel like I'm just getting to know him after 20 years. And we had this big conversation. And two weeks later, I was sitting in the hospital room and the doctor came in and said, you know, your wife's not going to live. But we, uh, this was the debt, right? She was admitted and they've life flighted her there. And he said, but we think she's in a coma, but we think she can hear. So, you know what? I'm just going to leave you two alone and feel free to have some time with her, which I felt like was just to make me feel better. I was kind of like, she's really probably not hearing me, but I walked in there and, um, someone had put a Bible in there. There were, had been visitors already and a lot of people. And uh, I picked up the Bible, and I, the last thing she'd ever read to me was Job. And I picked it up, and I turned to it. And I started to read it back. You know, and there I was uh, on the worst day of my life. And I really, as soon as I started reading, I felt like the Lord was saying, you know what, Bill? I'm the same today on the worst day of your life as I was two weeks ago on the best day of your life. I haven't changed. Everything, all your circumstances have changed, but I haven't changed. Everything you and Caroline talked about is true. And um, today is not the day to start shaking your fist and asking me why. And it was the greatest gift in the world to me. I sat there going, oh my gosh. He knew. He knew. And he knows. And he sees. And I, I was overwhelmed by the reality that this was um, not taking him by surprise. And it was a gift. Because I walked out of there into the darkest, most broken, bitter days with the understanding that, you know what? I don't get what's going on around me, but he does. And I don't like what's happening to me, but something is happening that I can't see. And, um, you know, this bitter, it, it was the darkest, deepest, darkest but it was the richest. I can look back on those days. They were the richest, deepest, sweetest, most bitter. The nearness of the Lord in the midst of uh, utter darkness was profound to me. And this bittersweet taste of the nearness of him is a profound thing to me still to this day. And it runs through all of our lives. Um, the Lord has, you know, the word talks about I mean, how can the Lord say, rejoice in your sufferings, or count it all joy when you face many trials, except that he understands that 
the bitter sweetness, the holy tension between the enemy trying to destroy our lives and the redeeming nature of God that re redeems our lives. The fallen nature of the earth that is trying to attract us to this life on earth when really there's something way beyond life on earth that we're attracted to and we're pulled between the two of those and it's the bittersweet nearness of knowing him more. Um, it's freeing really this revelation of the bittersweet goodness of God because you know, I think, one of the, I think one of Satan's strategies for us men is to make the world so attractive to us that we, beget, we, we get really drawn into it. And that's where money, sex, and power become rulers in our lives because they're attractive and, they're the world, and they're, they are this world. And the enemy draws us into that world. But when the most valuable thing on earth is ripped out of your hands, then the earth's sweetness is not as sweet as it was before, and it never will be. So every bitter taste that we experience on earth has the privilege of bittering the flavor of life on earth and sweetening the reality of life Beyond, and I don't mean just going to heaven. I mean, I, I, it's kind of like life and life on life is not about life on earth. It's about life in the spirit, which began the day I raised my hands in bed. And life in the spirit includes part of life on earth, which is why life on earth can be bitter and very sweet at the same time. Um, the most bitter moment of my life was laying in bed when Caroline took her last breath. And I dreaded it for four days while she was in a coma. And I made everybody get out of the room because I knew it was coming. And I just laid there and held her and watched as her heartbeat went really slow, slow, slow. And then she took one breath and stopped. And it was like, I mean, the day, the moment I had dreaded the most was like freedom. I mean, I, I, it was like I could hear chains falling off. I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, she's looking at him right now. And I thought, and I mean, I'm holding my wife. I was 40 years old. And I thought she would be whisked off to heaven. And it was kind of like she was right here, and all of a sudden she was right there. And there was this thin veil right there. And you know what? It's still there. And there is a very thin veil in my life between what's really happening and what looks like is really happening. There's a, I, 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 I have a, you know your peripheral vision? I have a little window in my peripheral vision. I can't really see through it, but I can see it. And it's, it used to not be there, but now it's there. 
And it's a reminder to me that there is a lot more going on than I realize. And there's a lot more that matters about my life than uh, I would have suspected otherwise. As part of the bittersweet taste, um, I used to, uh, right after all this stuff happened, I had some more bittersweet taste. I mean, you know, life is a really interesting journey. It's like we're on a train. There's two tracks. One of them is bitter and one of them is sweet. And it takes both to carry the train. Train's bound for glory. But it takes both of those. That, that's the track we're on. And sometimes it feels more on this, like it's tilted one way or the other. But, and sometimes you feel like getting off of that train. Uh, right after all of some of these things happened, um, I had friends, you know, are you okay? Are you, are you okay? Well, I'm not really okay, but I'm not, I'm not going to kill myself, if that's what you mean. And I used to kind of laugh and say, no, I'm not going to kill myself, but don't be surprised if you find me holding on to a flagpole at the next thunderstorm. I wouldn't mind moving on. And... But then actually the Lord really spoke to me even in that. I was reading in John in the beginning was the word. And the word became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. And if you look up that word dwelling and really kind of look at it, it's really connected to the word tabernacle. I guess in the Greek or whatever. When I studied that scripture, I'm not a Bible scholar. But I even looked it up yesterday. And one amplified version says he tabernacled with us. And, you know, the Lord spoke to me in that passage and, and, and kind of said, you know what, Bill, your life is to be a reflection of Jesus's life. And Jesus' life, Jesus tabernacled. He came and, and the tabernacle is the temporary dwelling place of, was the temporary dwelling place of the spirit. Before the temple was built, it was the tabernacle. It was temporary, and it moved around. It wasn't, it wasn't intended to last very long. And the Lord's, you know, Jesus' life was short. And he did not come to live the good life. He was not attached to the earth. And he didn't come to live the good life. But all the balance of mankind hung on whether or not he came and lived his life. And we're kind of like that. I mean, our lives, our lives do matter. And we do have an opportunity to get up from here and to go out. And yeah, it'd be nice to go to heaven tomorrow. And, I, and heaven is real. And it will always, it's right there in the corner of my eye. And I'll never, ever lose that awareness. And there's a thin veil, and I know it's right there. And... You know, Carol Ann is more alive today than she ever was. She has a glorified body. I used to say she had a glorified body when she was here. I, I don't know what she's going to look like when I see her next time. But she is as alive today as she ever was. And um, But my life... I, you know, I, I do. I want to be in heaven. I want to, you know, it's real. I want to be there. I want, it's, we, we got to understand how real that is. But our lives now are, you know what? They're short. My dad is, 
this bittersweetness never stops. My dad, my dad probably won't live for another week. I went to see him last night. He's in hospice at home. My mom's sitting there <laughs> next to his bedside. And um, that bittersweetness never ends. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I'm holding my grandson at the bedside of my dad, who's going to be, wow, he is going to be in heaven soon. And that is an awesome and powerful thing. But meanwhile, you know, I, I have this valuable life to live that can impact this brand new little kid that's my grandson that's going to be the next generation. And it, it's just a sweet um, reality, this bittersweet knowledge of him. Um, I lost track there talking about my dad. Sorry. And I do have notes. Um, yeah, okay. I was sitting there last night with, you know, I don't want to focus too much on the bitter, bitterness because there's a sweetness to this. There's a bitter fabric of our lives, but there is a sweet, hopeful thread that weaves itself through that bitter fabric. And it's stronger than any of the rest of them. And, and you can see it. You can look back through our lives and see it. I mean, y'all, I can... There's a lot of things that have happened bad in my life. A year after Caroline died, my 15-year-old daughter shot herself in the head. I will never forget that phone call in my office. I was just thinking I was getting over this stuff and starting to move on and we're going to get healed. And you know what? And she lived. Um, she's delivered my grandson six months ago. So, but it, I, I sat there, I, I remember laying down on the floor in my office. My secretary came in crying and something terrible's happened and wow, I laid down on the floor in my office and I thought, that's it. I'm done. I can't do another life flight. I can't do another trip to Vanderbilt. I can't, I can't do this again. And, um, the bittersweetness of that is I have the most phenomenal relationship with my daughter, Jessica. I mean, we came home from a psych hospital two weeks later, and I remember sitting in the car going, for the first time in my life, I have no idea what to say to you, Jessica. She said, you know what, Dad, I don't know what to say to you either. And we went home, and I got this little bowl of water and she said I can never go in that room again where she had shot herself it was a, an interesting thing she used a shotgun y'all are wondering how she lived she reached down had to do it so she pulled the trigger well when she reached way down the thing didn't shoot her inside the head it kind of shot her and it went trenched her skull and exposed her brain and she had bleeding and all that but she didn't it was she's fine she has a little if she pulls her hair back you'd be like wow you did something but you would nut today but I took her in that. I said, she said, I can't, I can't go in there. 
I said, yeah, I think you can. And we took her in there. She said, I said, I want you to sit right here in a chair in the middle of the room. And I got a bowl of water and I washed her feet. And I said, you know what, Jessica? I'm going to do whatever it takes uh, to make sure that you're okay. We have the most phenomenal, you know, relationship. It's a sweet, sweet life that she and I lead. And it's uh, the bittersweet taste of knowing him more and knowing the richness of what's really going on when what looks like what's going on is bitter. And it just goes on and on like that, y'all, till we kind of walk through that veil and it's all real. And we really see all the reason all of it's taking place. And it's exciting, really. I'm the most blessed man ever. I am the most blessed man ever. And you know what? I don't know what's next, and I don't know what's, I, you know, I'm looking, hey, I'm banking on a long run of favor, and I know that's coming. But, um, but meanwhile, it's a short life, and it matters a lot what I do and how I live it and where I go and how we honor him with it and how we um, remember what matters. I stood in the cemetery, looked at, Caroline's tombstone, this was about a year after she died, which is a really weird thing to do when you're 40 years old. It was surreal. There it was, her name, kids' names on it. We have a little cemetery on the farm. It's really cool. And um, I remember sitting there looking at that and thinking, I wonder what she's doing right now. And I wonder what she would, because she's just as alive, more, like I said, she's more alive now than she ever was on earth. I said, I wonder what she would, um, wonder what she would say to me. By the way, but to, before I finish that story, because that's what I'm closing with, you know, this whole sweet thread of things that way through one thing I wanted to say, I'm the most blessed man alive. I, I've, I've got a beautiful, wonderful wife. And this is so cool how, how the ribbon of hope weaves its way through everything. Carol Ann and I met her at a parent-teacher conference in third grade with Caleb as we sat and we talked to his teacher and we walked away and drove home and I was like, gosh, that was the coolest girl. She was, wasn't she cute? Wasn't she sweet? We talked. Yeah, Caroline's like, I really like her. We need to get her to keep our kids. Yeah, she's awesome. I married her. Ten years later, eight, seven, nine years, something later. What a sweet little ribbon of hope and joy. There's a sweetness that runs through this thing, too. It's not all bitter. It's just a, it's two tracks. So I'm, I, I said, I wonder what she would say to me, and I wonder what, um, wonder what she would say to me. And I felt like the Lord spoke right back to me, and he said, you know what? She would say, there's two things that matter to me Caroline now and that's it that that I know him and that anybody else in the world knows him because of my life I remember kind of thinking it was a little bit like 
you know, Bill, you don't really matter. The kids don't really matter. All that stuff doesn't really matter. What really matters is that she knows him, that she knew him, and that there's anybody else in the world that knows him because of her life. And I walked out of that cemetery going, you know what? That is all that matters. And that, it may be 40 days and it may be 40 years, but I'm going to have one right there beside her, and that's all that's going to matter to me. And I got bills to pay, and I got companies to run, and I got life to live, and I got grandsons to take care of. But there's only two things that really matter, and I got to run it through that filter every single day of my life. So um, that's why I would get up and say, share all this stuff, because um, every one of us has the opportunity to walk out of the door and be reminded, number one, of this peripheral vision and what's really going on around there and then number two to you know kind of live our days i wish i did it every day but live our days with that knowledge and understanding so that's it thank you my wife um bill during the days of your deepest sorrow uh said to me i i feel that we need to pray for bill lee and uh, she said, but how am I going to remember with everything else going on? She said, okay, every time I see a Lee Company truck, I'm going to pray. And she didn't realize that that was going to be a prayer without ceasing because they're all over the place. <laughs> she, was, she was a warrior on your behalf. Uh, Baxter Kruger, who's spoken here a number of times, called me yesterday, and we were talking about life. And he said, uh, we were talking about some difficult circumstances. And he says, Wes, just remember... The Holy Spirit is the greatest redemptive genius, and he can redeem all of this. And I just want to say one last thing, that as we get older, guys, uh, you know, you can do Botox. I guess a lot of people do. You can do all kinds of stuff. Just let your faces bear the signs of your aging, and you will find in the mirror every morning as you get older uh, the wrinkles that come, and they are from smiling and also from they, these, these places where we have learned to smile are also the channels through, down which the tears flow freely. And that, that hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, says, um, Sorrow and love flow mingled down. You've been listening to the New Canaan Society podcast for the Franklin, Tennessee chapter. Remember to check out Harrington Interactive Media will help you launch your podcast with confidence and excellence so you can get your message out there and connect with your audience in measurable ways. That's harringtoninteractive.com.